Welcome to Untitled Investment Talks, the podcast about all things digital assets. Welcome back. Today I'm here once again with my esteemed colleague, Carl Michael. Carl Michael, thanks for being here once more. Thanks. Pleasure to be here. I think today we have two very special guests um, who are currently working um, in the leading field of what I think is the most interesting and the hottest part of the entire blockchain industry. They're working on the custody of digital assets and the tokenization and securitization of digital assets. And yeah, of course, also tokenization of securities. The first of them is the co-CEO of Finoa, Christopher Mai. Christopher, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. And the second one is the CEO of Cashlink, very interesting company, very interesting things that they're doing. Michael Duttlinger. Michael, also, thanks very much for taking the time. Thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward. Cool. So we are four people. This is very special, our first show with four participants here. And what's also special, normally we've been talking about primarily, at least about cryptocurrencies. Today, as Simon already indicated, We are talking about other asset classes, digital asset classes, especially digital securities. So tokenized debt and equity instruments. And in particular, would like to know or talk about how tokenization can speed up processes, for example, issuance of assets, and how it can save costs. But okay, well, let's start first with an introduction of our guests. And there is one question which we always want to know from everyone participating in this talk is what brought you guys to the blockchain space and in particular to the what we call realm of digital assets? Maybe, uh, Christopher, you start. More than happy to do so. So I think as, as most people in the space, they got introduced to Bitcoin as a pure investor. And, and that was also the case from my side. So I still remember that I got a call from a friend in January 17. And he told me, yes, okay, you should take a look at Bitcoin. You should buy some Bitcoin. And without actually knowing a lot about blockchain or the technology, I started to invest. And then after a couple of weeks, couple of months, I really digged into the technology. And yeah, I saw the potential, saw the disruptive opportunities the technology is offering. And from that actually stayed in the system and started to build Finoa. Hey, cool. And, and Michael, how about you? Yeah, so we approached the space more from a, a technical perspective. As we are running our fintech startup Cashlink for um, four to five years now, we're very interested in this upcoming um, new technology, let's say. So we dealt a lot with the opportunities evolving from using blockchain in general. And so we, yeah, in 2017, uh, we deep dived into the, the technical features of blockchain. And then we figured out, okay, there's a lot of cool stuff you can do with blockchain. And then we figured out, okay, you can use this decentralized registry, for example, for storing securities and assets. And that's then where we changed our business model, actually, to a solely blockchain and tokenization-focused business model. Before we talk a little bit more about your companies, I don't know whether it's a personal question or a business question, but how do you guys meet? I think we first got introduced by, by a mutual acquaintance, must be in summer 2018 or so. So when we were starting with Finoa for a couple of months, and I think Michael and his team 
we're working on it since a couple of months, a month as well. So I think we had a couple of, of calls and then the first time we actually met in person was at a, yeah, a joint workshop, a joint session with a newspaper back in Frankfurt in January 28, uh, 19 then. And then at some point in time in 2019, we actually figured out that what we are doing, like the custody part, tokenization part is very complementary and started to work together on, on several projects. And I think, yeah, since one and a half years, basically working together, helping issuers to tokenize securities and fulfilling the end-to-end -end process from tokenizing to custody and asset servicing, and then in the end, the secondary market. Okay, cool. I think both of you are specialized on whatever different parts in the value chain of the tokenization process. Maybe you tell us a little bit briefly about what your company is doing. Michael, you started already with uh, giving some insights on cashing. Maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on what cashing is doing. Yeah, so with Cashlink, we're a tokenization, all-in-one tokenization provider. So we're providing an end-to-end -end solution to tokenize any asset or security. And as Christopher said, to re to together with players like Vinoa, we can provide the tokenization and the custody part. It's, uh, it's, very, it's necessary for a successful issuance to cover the, the primary and the secondary market. And we are also providing um, a complete white label solution, meaning investor dashboards, subscription processes, admin dashboards, so that, for example, white investment platforms or banks can provide a fully digital process um, for the, the issuing, clearing and settlement of digital or tokenized securities. And for us, like I said, it makes totally sense to connect custody and the issuance part. And we have also done, for example, together the first tokenization of a German stock together with Bankhaus Scheich, where we, and now we're also providing Benoa and Cashlink and Bankhaus Scheich and even additional services, uh, for example, integrated market making and other uh, services along the value chain when it comes to asset servicing. So we're based in Frankfurt. We are a fintech company, venture capital backed, and we have just won the fintech Germany award in the category blockchain this year. I think this year um, was the year of the issuances. Next year will also be the year of the issuances. And then probably more and more secondary market um, is coming in regarding tokenized securities. Okay, congratulations for winning this award. Uh, that's cool. And uh, Christopher, with Finoa, you come in with the custody part, right? Exactly. Yeah. So basically, we start where, where Michael and Cashlink stop their service. So we actually take over... Post-issuance, um, we're a digital asset custodian based and headquartered in Berlin. We started in, in 2018 and our vision was always to provide institutional and professional investors a secure interface to actually participate in, in the crypto ecosystem. So that spans not only digital securities, but our focus at the moment is a lot on yeah, cryptocurrencies, utility coins, and so on and so on. From a target customer perspective, we are very much focused on professional and institutional investors like family offices, VCs, banks, corporates, also traditional asset managers serving customers worldwide. So we are headquartered and preliminary regulated by German regulator BaFin, but also serving customers worldwide. On top of custody, we are also offering staking or OTC trading services together with our OTC partners. 
as well as obviously looking in, into other blockchain use cases such as governance or lending in the future. Both of you are focused on the institutional space in cryptocurrencies and then the digital assets. I mean, all of us have experienced positively, hopefully, the um, okay, let's say cryptocurrency bull run in the last weeks. We've seen SAP 500 year to date, uh, increasing by 10%, gold by 25%. But cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin uh, had an upside of 150% and more. One could say, okay, we've seen this end of 2017 or in 2017, there were these heydays. But then obviously we saw some drop or a significant drop in prices. But but this time it might be different. I mean, there are a couple of reasons for this. And one reason, and to close the circle here, is obviously that there is more institutional money in the market. So we have a second lag here uh, compared to the situation in 2017. This is at least uh, as we see it. And, and there are a couple of institutional investors. Grayscale in US is a very prominent example with their Bitcoin and Ethereum trust they have meanwhile 10 billion us dollars under a management compared to only 2 billion beginning of the year so it's a kind of five-fold increase so we see and hear a lot about investors in the us but since you are dealing also or primarily uh, with institutional investors in the germany austria switzerland region how do you see the influx of institutional money in our hemisphere who wants to take the question from you? I can start if that's okay. So I think what you said, Karl Michel, is, is exactly correct. So this increase we are seeing this year is built on a way more solid fundament than what we have seen in 2017. And you see that especially that the projects which are getting funded yeah, are way more substantial. And it's not driven by ICOs, which are say, collecting money from retail investors, but it's really the institutionals which are moving this, uh, into the space. And you've seen that in the US um, with, with all the different players like MicroStrategy, PayPal, and so on. And I think we see a similar pattern in, in Europe or, or in our DAH region, but it's obviously way smaller and, and way slower. If you take a look in the market and if you deep dive actually quite heavily, you see that this movement of institutional investors entering the space has started already end of last year, especially here in Germany with the upcoming regulation for the crypto custody. So we have seen, for example, Bankhaus Scheich moving into the space. We have seen T-Systems Multimedia Solutions, which is one of our partners who are starting to provide infrastructure like in, in the sense of, of staking validators, et cetera, et cetera. So you see that trend also here in Europe, but it's obviously yeah, a little bit slower than what we've seen in the US. Nevertheless, especially through the bull run over the last couple of weeks or you know, two to three months, and I'm also including the DeFi hype and the DeFi bull run, which we have seen in summer, you see a lot more interest from institutional investors and especially from our side at Finua, we're getting more and more requests from insurance companies, traditional asset managers, family offices, and so on. Because as I said in the beginning, this is not yeah, a hype which is built on nothing, what we have seen in 2017, but this really has like a fundament and people are actually starting to believe into Bitcoin, into cryptocurrencies. And I think if I always tell that story, so 
we see a lot of customers who are going to their family offices or private bankers since three, four, five years. And the private banker always says, yeah, I would not um, buy Bitcoin. I would not buy cryptocurrencies. But this shift is now changing so that family officers, banks, and so on, they are forced to, yeah, to be interested in that topic because the customers are interested as well. And that's what we, I think, also see here in Europe. And yeah, it's coming and increasing. And we, we actually all hope that it's, it's going to stay like this. Michael, I don't know whether you want to add. I think it was a very good, comprehensive explanation <laughs> from Christopher's side. But maybe can you let us know what impact does it have on your business at Cashlink? Yeah, I think Christopher perfectly summarized what is happening, especially in Germany and the Dach region. Um, so what we are seeing, it also has a high impact on our business, not being in the cryptocurrency space, not being in the digital security space. Because what we're seeing, especially in the, the second part of th this year, that asset managers, traditional banks, traditional companies are really now looking into the space. And they are now seeing the benefits. They have realized that it's not some ICO hype, like so that they're realizing, okay, how can I really improve my uh, existing infrastructure by implementing more efficient clearing and settlement processes? by implementing a more efficient issuance processes. So I know that especially um, now uh, this month and in October, a lot of companies that did studies um, had RFPs. And I know from consultants and law firms that almost everyone we talk to are now doing for some traditional bank or some traditional player a study uh, to evaluate How can they enter um, the, the, the space of cryptocurrencies as well as the space of digital securities? So I think what's now happening is that there's, they're building a, a basis for uh, doing projects within the next year and for getting the budget uh, for next year. We will see real uh, projects a lot next year by a lot more institutional and professional players. And what Christopher also mentions is the regulatory uh, certainty. So in Germany, we're one of the countries having the most uh, progressive um, blockchain regulations. So we have, the, we have the first blockchain law affecting Inua at the beginning of, of this year. We're regulating the custodial part of digital assets. And there's a second blockchain law coming in next year for regulating the digital securities registry. And this regulatory, cert, uh, this regulatory strategy drives regulatory, right, leads to investment, to more investment certainty. And I think this is exactly uh, what professional institutional players need. Now, Michael, uh, I think you mentioned some things that are really important here, and it's good that you did. Right now, today, especially in this podcast, we're talking about, on the one hand side, digital assets, on the other hand side, digital securities. And now we can, of course, differentiate between the two things where securities are financial products. It's uh, securitized assets. So, of course, we're not only, I think, what many of our listeners might be hearing on a daily basis, looking at digital assets, even in the DeFi space, things that appreciate in value, that might even be fixed income products, but few of them are considered to be securities. And with tokenization, of course, we look at the entire securities market. This is kind of the, the holy grail, the big breadbasket ripe for the taking, the trillions and trillions of US dollars worth of securities that are still being backed and traded based on uh, legacy architecture, based on 
a real paper having been there in some point in time on the entire system of notaries, of course, uh, of uh, outdated, not up-to-date technology, let's call it that. So we're looking at a way larger space that can be tokenized. And I think that you're you're looking at right now, maybe Christopher, what does the tokenization of an asset or also, of course, the tokenization of a security, if it's digital already or if it's still in the old world, really mean? How do you go about actually doing that? Yeah, so maybe to put it like in, in very simple words, so what is tokenization actually? So tokenization can be seen as a digital form of securitization because if you if you take a look at what securitization actually is, it's certifying a right or like an ownership right, a utility right of something, which is done mostly manual on, on a piece of paper, in a contract, in a certificate, etc. And I think tokenization, on the other hand, is the digital process of it. So you take that right, be it uh, again a utility right, an ownership right, and so on, and you wrap this into a token um, and this token is actually represented on the blockchain and with that token you actually if you if you own the token or respectively if you have uh, the private key and, and the ownership of the private key to this token you are able to execute the right which is included into this token and as I said in the beginning, this makes a manual process where everything is put on paper and then the paper has to be stored in vaults or, or in bank vaults, makes it way more digital, way faster and way more technical. Now, you've already mentioned some of the upsides. Maybe could you elaborate a bit more on where you see the biggest upsides? And of course, as you mentioned, uh, traditionally, there's papers, they're uh, in bank vaults, they're in notaries' offices. But of course, there's also a regulatory need for that, still at least, where we have to do it because it's in order to be compliant. So where do you also see the biggest challenges in this process? Very good question. So I think maybe, maybe I'll start with the benefits first. And I think the digitalization, yes, is, is obviously one benefit. And I think we, we go into more detail about what digitalization means for the, for the cost savings and at a later point in stage, I think one very important topic, which you also briefly uh, touched on is the regulatory part and the regulatory part in the traditional world is basically met by having a lot of intermediaries who take different roles and who take different responsibilities and the big benefits and the big chance for tokenized assets or blockchain assets in general is that they can cut out some of the intermediaries and some of the yeah, manual tasks or tasks which have to be executed by humans can actually be executed and taken responsibility of by the technology, by the blockchain. This is one big benefit. And related to that, I think there are a couple of other ones which are not so much on the cost or efficiency side. But on the more, let's say, economical side, and that's basically the democratization um, of investment capital, if you think of that in a broader sense. So two big benefits, which are often not named uh, prominently enough from my point of view, is that on the one hand, you can fractionalize assets or securities in as small yeah, parts as you want to. So you actually enable small investors who want to invest like 10, 50 or 100 euros to invest into projects 
which are usually capped with, with 10 million uh, euros investment. And the second big thing of this fractionalization and also this democratization is that you are able to sell your securities if you are regulatory compliant to way more international um, audience or investment crowd. So just think, for example, real estate um, or property here in Germany, it's right now more or less impossible or let's say very, very difficult to buy as an Australian uh, citizen. Um, because you would have to go here, you have to would have to go to the notary and so on and so on. And with the blockchain technology, that's actually possible that you invest worldwide. So maybe from, from the benefit perspective, in a summary, it's the digitalization, which brings some cost uh, effectiveness. And on the other hand, also the democratization of the investment capital. Obviously, maybe very quickly touching on the challenges or the requirements as the processes are way more technical and way less, let's say, structured at the moment yet, because I mean, the old system we are talking about is in place since 50 or 100 years with a couple of adjustments. So what we need in the, in the blockchain space is on the one hand, we have to have clear structures, we have to have clear regulation, which the regulators are working on. And then obviously, people have to be familiar with the whole infrastructure and therefore players like Cashlink or Finoa are actually more than important to help people to get familiar with the space, to get into the space and to participate and reap the benefits. Uh, since the regulatory side of the entire deal is a bit out of our hands uh, in order, like looking at what's happening, of course, there is influence uh, going on from uh, some blockchain players, uh, players in the blockchain industry. But what really enables us to go into this direction right now is, of course, the technology. Maybe what would you say is the, has been maybe the important point in time uh, where you, Michael, said, hey, tokenization, this is something that will happen. This is something that we can build. We can build a platform. We can build a service on this technology. Was it ESC20? Was it the first ICO hype? Where did you see that point in time? And what do you think are the requirements that maybe we already have achieved? And what are the requirements to get into the full tokenization of the financial markets that we haven't reached yet? If you look, so what benefit in general does a decentralized um, database um, brings in is trust. So and the difference between um, the last technical revolution, the internet, and now a blockchain or a DLT is basically um, solving the trust problem or the double spending problem. And the reason why we have these uh, complex systems, these legacy systems, these, uh, lo these, uh, there are so many intermediaries, is basically because the function of many of these intermediaries is just um, providing trust like a notary. If there's 100% trust in the market, you would not need any notary. A decentralized database in this case it can be used to provide the trust, which is usually given by costly intermediaries like notaries. And if you look at the settlement and issuance processes of notaries or other intermediaries, for example, in, in Germany, notaries, it takes three weeks or four weeks. And if it's all digital, it takes seconds. So for us, when we deep dive into the technical part, was like, okay, we can use the systems to provide the needed trust in a completely different way 
and this different way has results in way lower costs, results in more interoperability across the whole world and enables more more investors to participate in the systems. What we basically started with is that we looked at our employee stock option program and our employee stock option program is um, is still very paper-based, it's old school, it's um, inefficient. Why can't we put this on a decentralized ledger and why can't we uh, provide our employees a digital representative of our company? And that's where all our thoughts started. And then we moved on to, okay, you can basically digitize any security. You can uh, wrap any right, like I said, and and represent it by a token, which then can easily be transferred around the world. When it comes to the real technical part, our first choice was Ethereum and our smart contract is ERC20 compatible. We are now implementing a multi-blockchain approach. So we're not bound to, to one protocol. As we see for different use cases, different protocols make sense. So you really have to evaluate on each tokenization project, which is probably the best protocol in this case. Christopher knows this as they are doing already custody for new upcoming protocols, which are from a technical standpoint way better than the existing ones. And I think in the next five years, we'll see a lot of changes on the, uh, within the underlying protocols, as well as in regulation, as well as on the asset side. So we're still at the beginning. It's a market that is moving very fast. And yeah, it's a marathon. You don't change a financial system overnight. It will probably take the next five to 10 years as these systems are very old, are legacy systems. And what we're clearly seeing is that the shift of Capital Market 1.0 to Capital Market 2.0 is a one-way road. Let's say it this way. And more and more people are now moving to the Capital Market 2.0. And for us, it's also very interesting to see which players from the old world are going to the new world and how does the value chain change and what players are now targeting maybe other parts of the value chain of securities. And this whole system is now evolving. One of the cool things uh, you guys did jointly and also together with Bunker Scheich was the tokenization of uh, Deutsche Telekom shares. Uh, since this is a project that I'm sure many of our listeners would like to know more about, of course, only things you can say. What were your like? biggest learning. So what were some surprising insights you made uh, during that project? Was there anything that you didn't see coming beforehand? Uh, probably many things, but was there anything that really stuck out? Any insights that you would really like to share? So for us, this project is very exciting as Finoa and Cashlink are both pioneers in this space. And what I think was very, very good is that this old financial player, Bankhaus Scheich, is moving very fast in this new market, is very dedicated and is highly ambitious to be one of the front runners in this new space. And what I think was a major factor of the successful implementation of the project was that the Bankers Scheich, that all board members were on board and especially the, the board member, Bostiganke, is pushing a tokenization as Bankers Scheich is trying to gain um, market shares in this new upcoming market. And this is very uh, important to combine these both worlds. On the one hand, Finoa and Cashlink um, coming from the new world um, and uh, being experienced with digital assets and blockchain. And on the other side, um, combining the financial expertise of more than 30 years of trading stocks in Germany and providing financial services within the capital market 1.0. 
And I think you have to combine these two fields in order to run successful projects. And of course, I think what's also very important is the mindset and doing it in an iterative way. What we usually see, this is not only with blockchain, when financial institutions um, run digitalization projects, it usually takes a lot, uh, years and then it's still not finished. It costs a lot. And it's basically not the way uh, products are developed within the Silicon Valley. So you have to do MVPs and you have to do small steps and then do project after project. And this was very important as we kicked off with the um, tokenization of the telecom uh, stock. And now a totally different projects coming up. Bankhaus Scheich is now also um, together with Noah trading Bitcoin. And now Bankhaus Scheich is providing tokenized ETFs for clients that I want to offer ETFs within their banking apps, for example. And what's also very good is the regulator was very interested in this project and had uh, deep talks with Bankhaus Scheich. I think this was also very important to have a strong, uh, a strong connection to the authorities as they also want to learn what we are pioneering here. And first of all, many people ask us, yeah, why do you tokenize a, a completely liquid asset as a stock in, in this case? And so doesn't it make more sense to tokenize illiquid assets before and now make them liquid? In this case, one major advantage is if, if you want to provide securities to investors in the old space, the, the, the whole IT infrastructure is very old. It's very expensive. It's hard to integrate. And integrating wallets and tokens is way more easier for example, in your banking app or in your distribution channel. And you can use this a tokenized form of ETF to then incorporate more efficient settlement processes. So what we're seeing is that, this, uh, that now people, due to this cost reduction, due to this more efficient way um, to deal with securities, now switching to tokenized, even liquid products. And maybe do you want to add something, Christopher, on this? I think you, you summarized it quite well. Nothing to add from my side, to be very honest. Okay, that was super cool, Michael and Chris. Very insightful, and we, we really like this project with, uh, with with Deutsche Telekom and, and the insights uh, you provided. Maybe let's close the circle. We started our talk with talking about the influx of institutional money into the crypto space. So we move a little bit from digital assets back to the to the crypto space here. And maybe, Christopher, uh, you can help us with this last question, which we normally call the golden, the golden question. What do you think? When will the really large players, whatever, the investment banks or funds, the Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, CTC, jump on the cryptocurrency bandwagon, but full speed? And... Not only when, what do you think, what will be the impact on the Bitcoin price? Would it move to 50K, 300K, 1 million in two or three years? Very, very good question. I think I could speak about that half an hour, but, but I try to keep short. So I think, and what we hear from the market, until banks will really touch cryptocurrencies, that will take some time. So what we see is they are way more open to digital assets like digital securities. But until they really start to invest into cryptocurrencies by themselves on behalf of their customers, I think that will take two to three years at least. Obviously, you see 
that there are some players and then you name some of them like JP Morgan, Goldman Sachs, they are way more advanced and they are doing that already. But if we talk especially about the Goldman Sachs case, they do something very, very interesting. They have it all outside of the core bank. So they're very early on invested into Bitgo, they invested into Circle. So they have their yeah, subsidiaries or outside entities who are offering that service already. But until we see that in, in a core bank, that will take some time. And I think one major step for that is what we discussed during this podcast already is actually the investment readiness, which is coming through regulation. So if you take a look at, at the US and to keeping that short as well, since a couple of months, there's like a new proposal or a new draft out, which says that banks are also allowed to hold cryptocurrencies now for the investors. And that will speed up the process. So while we will see that in the US again, faster than what we will see here in Europe, I still think that it will take at least one and a half, two years until banks fully, fully embrace that. What will that do with the Bitcoin price? I think it's impossible to say. I think what you see right now with, with PayPal moving into the space and what some people actually also forget is that Revolut is in the space since a couple of months already as well. So I think, yes, it will be very, very certain that it will go up just by that there's like more demand and limited supply. So everybody who did economics in university or in school knows that uh, the price will go up where it will go. I'm actually not able to predict anything, but I, I think we will see a significant uptick over the next one or two years, be it 40K, be it 60K. But I mean, even if we talk about 30K, that would still be like a 50, 60% uptick, which you won't get in any other market. And that's always something, and also to close that, we are not only talking about returns, or the Bitcoin price in here, but I think we are talking about something which is fundamentally different, which is fundamentally different by technology. And that's something which I always like to remind uh, the people of. It's not about just making returns and, and higher prices, but it's also what, what Michael really nicely put together is we're changing a bit of the financial system and the price um, of Bitcoin is just an indicator of how fast and how well this is actually happening. Uh, thank you so much for your insights. Uh, now, to our listeners, uh, this is only part one out of two. Next week, Christopher and Michael are going to be back with us and we're going to jump in a lot deeper into what Christopher just uh, mentioned is how far can we go? This is just the beginning. What can be tokenized? What can become a digital asset? What can become a digital security? And how do we do it? How do we go about it? And what's happening within the next couple of years? So thank you as always for listening and thank you for sticking with us. Um, I hope to see you back again next week.